Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. folks thank you for tuning in to another episode of bucks of america podcast i am your host jeff vance and uh today's the hat of the week goes out to veteran innovative products this is their their new logo and design so i sat down with matt here a few weeks ago and that episode will be coming up here shortly so be on the lookout for it and uh my guest today is uh karen stover now he is the uh, main guy behind huntinggeardeals.com and it is a good source for those who are looking to replace gear but also try to ex- get new gear for their for either to get others involved or or anything else like that so it's a it's a good place to check out instead of going to uh your big box stores because it's like he's going to be able to provide you some really good deals before you go out and make that purchase and give you some education because he the site does provide feedback and product reviews so this way then you can make a very well-rounded educated decision on your product but uh man cam we it's, it was nice chatting with you in the, the preamble of the the conversation here but how's everything going for you hey i, I appreciate it i'm glad to be back um it's pretty interesting. You was talking about VIP archery. They did a fantastic job with their color scheme and logo this year, wasn't it? Yeah, they I really did. It. They, uh, Matt and those guys did a grand job of re, re like re uh, uh, branding themselves in their in the in the outdoor world and stuff. And I just got a whole care package of a bunch of their new broadheads because they released four this year. They released two guillotines, a bomber, the Ranger, and the uh, uh, the Ranger. And all of them provide different aspects to cutting and such like that. Now, uh, we, when Matt came on and we had a conversation about it, we discussed uh, the engineering behind everything. And he'd been working on all these broadheads for six plus years before he finally took them to market. And it was really interesting to, to listen to him how each one is designed. And so because he, he took the time to break down each broadhead and what makes sense of it. And he's even coming out with a new um, insert system where it's like, let's say you destroy your arrow. But the insert's still good. You can actually take and reuse an insert into another in a new arrow because it does not revolve around a glue system. You don't glue it into place. You actually just insert it, and it has like a locking pin and actually keeps it in place. Because what had happened during the the pandemic and such is that they needed to figure out a way to meet the demand. Now, Matt is only one one of the very few companies that actually produces everything stateside, where majority of the inserts are coming from Vietnam, Philippines, China. Well, his is all in Texas. And so that's what, so to meet that demand, they just went ahead and did that. They have a new brass and steel insert system where you can actually break off the weights. This way you can figure out how much you want to have for your FOC and such. And so it's a very well-rounded system to help the, the uh, just the average archer that wants to get into tinkering, but don't have the saws and stuff like that. And they want it something lower tech. So now you can take your inserts from one arrow to the next one. So as, as you, as a hunter progresses, we always buy and buy new sets of arrows. Like I started with blood sport arrows. Now I'm shooting Maxima reds and just because of the quality and the expectation I have out of them. So everybody has an evolution of buying new products. And that that's what I think that's really a good way to covering that market. 
Yeah, they've really met, turned that company around from where they started at to where they're at now. And that really made a statement at the ATA show this year with that better branding and just simple yet stood out and a quality product behind it as well. Mm-hmm. And with the with the color scheme, it's like now it's like it, it's like of male. It's it's not geared just towards males. It has that that unisex added attitude towards their 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 uh, apparel. So it's it's something that you can anybody's comfortable wearing. Yep, I agree. So now, uh, what's uh, we were talking about your your bracket you did this year? Why don't you tell us like what was the inspiration behind the bracket, and then moving into uh, how it all ended up because you had a good turnout for it. Yeah. Um, so I like to try to do something to get people involved. So as far as the bracket, like NCAA tournament wrapped up in March, well, a- beginning of April. Um, so I'm sitting there trying to get all the winners lined up. It'll be a while before everybody gets their prizes, but I just try to reach out to some uh, retailers and stuff like that in the industry, see if they want to participate. And like companies like Kuyu and Palmetto State Armory, some of the bigger names out there jumped in and uh, provided some great, great prizes. And there really wasn't a whole lot of like, what do I get in return other than just being a part of it? So uh, it's just free to join. Uh, everybody kind of gets a chance to participate. And then I'll just start going through the list, however it shakes up and start throwing prizes that we get kind of letting people pick, not really assigning products or, and uh, prizes to those positions, just kind of letting people pick what they want. And it, it really surprises me when somebody looks at a brand and say there's a $100 gift card versus a $50 gift card. But that $50 gift card is from a brand that they trust a little bit more. And they're more willing to take that smaller dollar amount right up front because they want to either test that product or brand or they trust that brand. And I was extremely surprised um, when people were taking products or gift cards right up front. And I'm like, you're missing out on this $100 or $200 product. But it makes sense when it all shakes out. So it's pretty cool when you can put value to your brand like that. Mm -hmm. And anybody like any any sign of discount will is going to help them get that 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 uh, piece of material they've been eyeing up, especially if you're looking at Sitka, Kudu, uh, any any major brands out that that that, that the quality is there, and where it's a little where it's for the average man is a little expensive, but uh, for somebody that's like understands that brand that uh, the quality, they're willing to go that fork over that extra buck for it. Oh, absolutely. So, how uh, was your uh, 2021 se- season then? Uh, so the fall 2021 season um, started out great. I mean, couldn't have been any better, actually. So West Virginia has an urban archery season. I was lucky enough to get a tag for that. So opening morning, I'm in the stand, and uh, my girlfriend's son has a interest in hunting, but he'd never been hunting before. And I was trying to figure out how I can incorporate him into this hunt. But due to the like the rules of this hunt, you have to hunt from an elevated platform, uh, like eight foot or higher um so out of a tree stand and he wasn't ready for tree stands and no area like put in that elevated elevated box blind or something like that not kind of, not spending that kind of money so i'm like how can i incorporate him into this hunt and let him enjoy it and get to watch it so i first step was like hey i'm going to video it so he can at least watch the video and the next i was like well maybe i can position my vehicle in a way far enough away that where he can get a pair of binoculars and kind of watch me from afar so after a little bit of work, I figured out like, okay, this is where I can park my truck, but it's kind of hidden, but he can still watch. So um, he's actually in my vehicle with his mom, like butt crack of dawn before daylight. He's all excited. She's in the sleep. She's asleep in the passenger seat. And he's actually got my tracking dog in the vehicle with him as well. So 
it breaks daylight and I'm like, I'm shooting the first nice doe that walks by. And uh, sure enough, about an hour into the hunt, I've got plenty of deer around me. It seems like they're all little bucks and a doe feeds out and I get the camera on her and I can't really communicate with him because he's so far away. And I'm, I'm just hoping he's watching. So I, I shoot this doe and she runs around the base of the tree and literally just falls right in front of it. And I'm like, well, that never happens. Like we don't get to track it or anything. Like that was supposed to be the fun part with the dog. So I'm sitting there and I'm all excited. I'm like, well, I can kill two deer. So I'll, uh, let me check out what I got to do. So I get online to West Virginia's new online check-in system because I just enrolled it. And I'm probably the first person in the state at this point in time checking in the deer because the season had just opened like an hour ago. So I'm trying to check this deer in and it doesn't work. The online check-in system's not ready yet. Um, so I'm like, man, what do you do? So I call, I call it and I'm like, I'm going to check this deer in. So I sit here and go through all these, uh, the, typing in your numbers and all this stuff and finally get it checked in. And I look up. And here comes a buck. And I'm like, okay. Wasn't really here for a buck. And it's a 10-point. Velvet, beautiful little 10-point, probably 120 inches. And I'm like, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I no sooner turn around, grab my bow, flip the camera on, and this deer's 20 yards looking at the – he's literally sniffing the doe that I had shot. I slipped an arrow into him. He runs directly towards uh, my, my truck, which is 100 yards away or whatever it was. And – it runs towards it and on the way there it actually falls down so meanwhile i'm in a stand i'm doing all this crazy stuff with all these deer around me trying to check this deer in uh come to find out i didn't even have to legally check the first one in before i could kill the second one that was that was a situation where i was like i wanted to make sure i was on top of the game but i, I got i went over above and beyond on that one but in the meantime um, he's given his mom the play-by-play -play of this hunt and how it's shaken out so uh, I come down out of the stand and I'm all excited. So I, I kind of don't want to mess up the blood trail. So I sneak out and around and I go to the truck and we get out and he starts telling me all about it and how cool it was. And I was like, listen, buddy, this isn't usually how this works out. <laughs> and, uh, so we go on and we, of course, we play with the tracking dog, even though we didn't really need it. And he got to watch that aspect of the dog because he had been kind of seen the dog as a pet, but hadn't seen that dog work much. And got to gutted gut his first deer and let him do all that part of it and go to the processor and from start to finish and we got to eat it and um, so he got to see all this from his very first experience so that rolled into okay now he's got a desire to hunt so i start tagging he starts tagging along on some squirrel hunts and we go squirrel hunting for the first time and it didn't go as planned he's he's shooting at a squirrel that's not in the same tree that He's shooting in a tree that the squirrel wasn't in. I'm like, okay, I need to rethink this. I need to be a little better. So we practice, we spend a little bit more time practicing. We go out the next time and he gets his confidence up and he, he misses two or three, two or three shots. And he finally gets his first one and we're both excited. And I'm like, buddy, we don't have to quit. We keep on going. And man, as soon as that, that light switch after he got his first squirrel, the next two squirrels that stepped out were dead before they, <laughs> before they hit, before he had the gun up i mean so his on his second squirrel hunt he had three squirrels one red squirrel which was pretty cool uh, i know I, I hunted for years before i even seen one and he's killed one on his first day but had a fun season traveled around a little bit uh went out to missouri i think the first the my goal for missouri was to do something a little different i wanted to cover a bunch of different ground and i found a prairie and i like spot and stalk hunting so I'm like, I'll go out to that prairie. There's probably not a whole lot of people out there. And 
sure enough, I got out there, it started breaking daylight. I started jumping deer and I get out to this area to glass and I think I should go into the more remote area rather than like this nice little walking trail. And I'm over here glassing and sure enough, over by this nice little walking trail, there's a doe and a buck running around. So I get, I get in front of this buck. Sure enough, he gets 40 yards. I draw back. He runs off. Dag on. I'll come back tomorrow. So the next morning, I'm back in there glassing. He's in the exact same spot. And I thought, there's no way he should be in there. And I watched him bed down. And I was at 600 and some yards, and I stalked into 40 yards on this deer. He stands up out of his bed. I slip an arrow. What I think is perfect. And what come to find out was there was a little branch and it wasn't even a tree. It was like a, just a brushy or a woody bush about a quarter of an inch thick. And it deflected my broadhead just enough to where the arrow didn't actually penetrate the deer. It just kind of skipped down the rib cage. But when I threw the binos up, I could see blood on, right behind the rib cage. I was like, smoke this deer. I was all excited. I go to grab the arrow and the arrow's clean as a whistle. And I spent four or five hours tracking, looking for this deer, never seen it again. And come to a conclusion that it was just a flesh wound and trying to put all those pieces together of what had happened. So I was crushed. Um, nice deer too. Probably, I know it had six on one side and five on the other. Beautiful public land deer on like the second day of the hunt or second morning of the hunt, whatever it was. So I bounced around to a couple more properties and never really found um, an area that didn't have a lot of people in. And one of the last places that I hunted, I got in this, one of the biggest, like you bring up the map and you're like, oh, that's the biggest pinch point on this property between feeding, feed and bed. Everybody and their brother is going to hunt right here. So I'm like, that's where I'll go. I'll check it out. First evening, I get in the stand and, I ha and I'm like, mm, somebody's hunted here. There's no way. It's too easy. So I go over looking this uh, bean field, kind of higher vantage point, And I watch a beautiful 140 inch deer walk straight through that pinch point and i'm like that's a bad decision so i get out there the next morning I, I hunt all day from i get in the stand before daylight i hunt all day i don't come out nothing a deer doesn't show up i couldn't understand why i was like man i didn't bump this deer i knew where he was bedded i, I basically seen him get up and he didn't show up so i walked back to the truck because i'm my hunt's about over with at this point in time and i ran into a guy and he's like man, I shot a big buck right down below where you was hunting at. I'm like, okay. I said, and he told me where, and he was literally hunting right where that deer was bedded at. So as that deer was coming back to bed, this guy shot it. Ah, was this, and, uh, was this the day before or that morning? This was like the first day I seen the deer go through the pinch point. I come back in the next morning thinking I would hunt all day and he would be in, he would bed down and he would come back through that pinch point. Um, that evening he killed that deer may, like midday as that deer was coming back to his bed so and he shot it and it went over to private so he was trying to figure out how to get and he'd hunted this property for a long time he told me and stuff so he was very familiar with the landowner and stuff and he had it he had a buddy there helping him out so at this point in time i'm pretty deflated because i had bounced around probably to five or six different um tracks or areas on public ground between the time where i shot that buck and man, gave it a flesh wound to the time that I'm at right now. And I'm basically ready to give up. So I get about two or 300 yards from the truck and I run into another guy. He's like, man, I shot a big old buck from the ground with my my crossbow out in the middle of this field. He said, you'd never believe it. And I'm like, oh yeah. He said, yeah, my buddy's here. He's going to help me drag it out. And I'm like, 
I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I go back to the uh, Airbnb and I actually went out to a, some private ground, hunted on the way home, met, met some awesome people, had hunted some beautiful properties, uh, seen some nice deer, just wasn't the caliber that I was there to kill. And uh, came home from Missouri without a tag, but a great time. Uh, stopped in Kentucky, hunted Kentucky a little bit, saw some dandies right beside the road, but not where I could legally hunt. <laughs> so, yeah, isn't that how it always goes? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was an area there probably 150 class deer right between the interstate and the the call it the median or whatever but it was like in a low area just a beautiful deer and i just sit there and watched him try to video him with my phone but i mean i was sitting on the road driving from a to b and uh really kentucky was a bust the areas that i was in in kentucky just didn't produce what i wanted to a lot of people a lot of people um, talked to Corey Anderson, Bellator fighter. He's actually got a title fight coming up next, on Friday of next week. Uh, he was down in Kentucky hunting the same time I was, and he wasn't having a whole lot of luck either. So, And he was hunting close to the public on some private. Come on from Kentucky, hunted West Virginia and Ohio. Honestly didn't put in a whole lot of work after that. Really devoted my time to my business and um, – kind of in that point in time where like this business has been like point uh, like a part-time side hustle and I really want to try to make it into a full-time job and I wanted to test to see how much if I put in the work would it pay dividends and uh, I think so I mean I'm confident that by the end of this year I can go full-time and I'm thinking maybe September maybe November step away and do this full-time and uh, not turn them back so uh, it's been fun, and the season to me was a success. I mean, I got anytime you get to introduce somebody and light that fire for them future gen- for a future generation to start hunting and then get some time in the woods for yourself. It's always a good time. Oh yes, I wanted to circle back to the urban hunting. So how did you how did you get yourself in in a situation where you can do an urban hunt? Okay, so the state of West Virginia, um, it either. You can have them in the city if the city votes and approves it. And then also, I think in some um, like small, like little residential areas, if you're like little, uh, what do you call these? Homeowners Association approves it. So I'm actually in the city limits hunting. And then the minimum property size is three contiguous acres. So like I could have three property owners lined up and each person owns an acre. And then I can get that little block uh legal like signed off by the county and the dnr stating that it's big enough for me to legally hunt it's archery only it comes in early so like beginning of september right around that time frame is when it actually starts and it runs through the end of december we're allowed to kill five does at a and then two bucks at a maximum so you can i think you can actually kill seven deer but two only two of those can be bucks and you got to kill a doe before you can kill a buck so uh, it's really fun. I mean, usually you don't see a lot of big deer come from this area, those areas, especially where I'm hunting at. Uh, but they are there. I mean, there was a guy killed a buck that I think he pushed Boone last year, like around around 170. And then this past year down in the uh, Kanawha County in one of their urban hunts, there was a 200 incher killed. And West Virginia is not known for that caliber of deer, but that was a phenomenal deer. And uh, Kanawha County's got some very large areas for their urban hunts uh, morgantown west virginia so they do there's a little different and they do um 
so Morgantown's home of the West Virginia University, the Mountaineers. So you get a lot of people, a lot of younger people in that area, but they make sure, I think all their meat has to go towards their um, food bank. So they raise hundreds, they get, get hundreds of pounds of venison donated into that. So that's one of the cool things. And then we've also got hunters helping the hungry throughout the state where you can donate deer to as well. Uh, but so it's population control because people, are invading the areas where these deer used to live. And that's basically why we have those, it's simply for population control, the conservation side of that. And then good things come from it. I mean, that Morgantown Food Bank um, reaps benefits for it all year long because of that hunt. Yeah, Lacrosse has a metro hunt. No, I had a chance to talk to Matt Krabonik and he hunts in Pennsylvania up in Philadelphia. He actually hunts urban there and such. And there is, they're set up as a club to be part of and you have to pretty much be invited to get into it you have to go through a testing process just to make sure that you can you could be able to put your arrow in a 20 yard side because they want to keep that close shots that the quick ethical shots this way then they're going to be a, a quick drop and such and go from there because he was saying because they, they primarily hunt the park system and that park system can be kind of tricky in how you set up and such because it's like he's had some interesting inter interactions with people because some people were just curious about it and some people be bringing out the Karen or their, their Kevin out of themselves about the whole scenario. But he's saying that uh, it's not uncommon for those to like, they actually put, put a uh, arrow on a deer, but all of a sudden that deer would run out and then all of a sudden run into a street. And it, it's because it's a, it's, it's a necessary situation. They need to, they, they, they don't advertise about it. It's like, it's like, it's pretty much, you have to hear about it from somebody that actually does it because they don't want the, the publicity from it. They want to keep it as low key because there's a lot of um, older hunters that are still in it. So they want to keep this as a positive thing because it's like this is their way to get away from uh, their day to day and such. But uh, he wasn't able to capitalize anything, but uh, it was a really interesting a conversation to have about how that it was all set up and especially even hunting in Philadelphia. Cause you wouldn't think about that being able to hunt in such a big community. Yeah. I mean, you look at what the mediator did, Mark uh, Kenyon went down to Washington DC this year and hunted. So, I mean, there's these opportunities are all mostly country or countrywide in all these big cities. And we've seen uh, cities like New York spend hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars to euthanize and come up with all these creative ways that are in that just cruel and inhumane uh, in order to euthanize these animals and do population control instead of allowing hunters to come in. Um, some cities have went in and paid people like they call them sharpshooters to go in and kill all these deer out when you have hunters like you and I that are willing to go out and perform our job yeah, we're willing to pay, yes, but we're also willing to donate towards conservation and do our jobs as hunters uh, by controlling that population and then putting that venison to good use, whether it be within our communities or within our home. Yeah, that is that is the, the upside of it. I, there, I know they did sharpshooters up in Minneapolis, their airport up there as well. Uh, Steve Ranella had them on their podcast back when I think they were before below 100 uh, episodes, and that was an interesting to listen listen to that because he said he would kill a lot of deer just because he just he was good at it but um it was one of those things where they were paying him a ridiculous amount of money to do it all and it's like i said i just opening up to the public so it's different it's difficult when you do it when you deal with a, a bluer state when it comes down to it because that does play a role in um issue permissions and issues like that because i know like if you look at a, a scheme of things, if you look, start looking out West, I know Colorado, Arizona, were having issues with their big, with the predator 
hunting, like going hunting uh, big cats and, and bears to let like that. And they're trying to get rid of it, eliminate those seasons. And it's like, that's something we don't want to have happen. So I know out West, they really rose to the occasion to kind of put the foot down to stop that because otherwise you're just going to have these larger predators coming into town. And it's like that you need to have a balance. And even in here in Wisconsin, we're having issues with uh, being able to provide hunting because it's like, it's, it's, they're not, voting with science are just based off of feelings and with Madison and Milwaukee and Green Bay and, and Eau Claire that these, these bigger uh, cities are kind of have, they have enough, they have enough of an impact where they can actually uh, created uh, harm to, to the, to the, uh, the ecosystem because they're not, they don't fully understand what's all going on and why we do such a thing. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that sportsman's Alliance has been producing lately about, some of the rights that we've been losing like bear seasons that have been completely canceled because anti-hunters have been speaking up and just here recently i read an article where um, there was some there's some public ground that they were opening them up like wildlife manage uh not wildlife management areas wildlife refuge areas and they weren't allowing the hunting community to make a public vote or public opinion or voice that they were only allowing that lawsuit that was filed to be um, basically spoken on by those extremists that did not want hunting to be. And it's like over 2 million acres. And basically they just told the hunting community, sit down, shut up and let the government do its job. And we could talk about that stuff. Oh yeah. That is so true. Now. I, um, so I want to get back to you, the, your girlfriend's son, like he, how he, went through all that experience. So after, so do you think he is going to be ready for turkey season? Yeah. So actually we have a turkey hunt coming up um, Saturday before Easter. So this coming weekend, we're, I know we're filming or we're recording a little earlier than what this is going to come out. So hopefully we'll have results of this hunt pretty soon, but yeah, he's, he's getting there. He's ready. Uh, I've got his camouflage and got him a lot more familiar with using a gun and stuff like that. Turkey hunting is one of those things with, if you're not in a ground blind, it's really difficult to do, especially if you're not hunting what we call field birds, like down where I'm from originally, it's all mountain birds and it's just really hard to get the upper hand on a lot of these birds. So do I expect him to go out and kill one? Absolutely not, but he's going to be there. I want him to hear that gobble, hear those birds wake up, um, how that communicates. So we don't have very many animals on the East coast that you can actually communicate with and fool with uh with noise like that and call them in so to add that new aspect into it he's seen deer he's seen small game like squirrels um and just tagging him along i mean I, anytime i get a chance to get somebody like that out in the woods and share that experience with it makes a lasting impression whether you get to pull the trigger or not and uh now i don't know if you've heard this but iowa just passed that you can use a, uh, a 410 and a 28 gauge for bird hunting I thought that was awesome because now you're able to get those younger generations because a 12 gauge and a 20 gauge to a preteen boy that that eight to 12 years old range is a lot of power in their hands stuff like that but able to introduce them with a with a smaller caliber like that with still a deadly accuracy I think that's just a grand grand scheme and like I, I was looking at some of the forums and they're getting some hate like that our governor was getting some hate for it but it's like I think that's genius because now you're able to capture that younger environment now uh, will he be able now can he use a smaller caliber does he have to use a 20 or a 12 gauge no they can use a 410 in West Virginia so that, that, that's what we're going with. And with the TSS loads now, the tungsten shot, 
I mean, you're looking at an accuracy rate up to 40 yards that you're effectively killing turkeys with, with just a 410. So it's hard to find ammo right now. And I personally haven't been able to find any, but luckily I've got a gun and some a box of ammo lined up that somebody's going to let, let us borrow. But um, that really helps out because I wouldn't turn over my 12 gauge to a 10 year old kid and say, here, just pull the trigger and hold on. Cause it ain't going to work. I mean, you're going to give that, you're going to give that youth if they're not exposed to that, those kind of guns and more prepared for it. Cause yes, I grew up shooting higher caliber guns at an early age and he's not, he's not ready for that. So if I expose him to that 12 gauge that I've got, he's not going to want to do that again after he pulls the trigger the first time. And when I was about his age, a 16 gauge put 10 stitches between my eyes and sent me to the hospital. So I definitely don't want to have that negative side effect that I had as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky you didn't get, uh, you didn't um, stop getting, you had end up uh, having a bad ex- experience with it and stop hunting altogether. Cause I mean, that's could That could be a very traumatic, especially get, having going st- going and getting stitches. Oh, ex- absolutely. Luckily, I don't, I think there's a little part of me that's designed to be a hunter. So it didn't phase me one bit. <laughs> no, a little setback like that. Yeah. I've, I've had my fair share of big old bruises on my right shoulder from, uh, from hunting with a, a, a 12 gauge. Cause all my dad would use his 12 gauges, but when he got his 1100, it, it, it was a different, it was a whole different setup because the way Remington really, really wor- worked the gas into the favor, the gas system. And it, it's not, as, it's not, it doesn't hit as hard as my old um, Mossberg 495A, which is, which is specifically designed as a turkey gun. That some bitch kicked like a mule because gun was built back in the 60s. So it's like it, all that energy, all that energy went right through the stock into your body. Like you get upwards like 15 rounds, you'll, you'll, you're, you're going to have a big old welt on your shoulder, whatever, whatever um, you use to shoot with. But uh, I'm glad they're able to like have that flexibility. Now, uh, what about uh, crossbows too? Is that something you, you interested in to buy with, or you want, or does he want to stick following your lead with a compound? Uh, I can't recall right off the bat if we can use crossbows during turkey season or not. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. Not the route that I would go, but as far as for deer hunting, uh, the crossbow route is definitely 100% where I'm going to start him off in that direction. Uh, the ability to utilize a crossbow, and as someone who have, was very opposed to that in the beginning because I knew what it opened up, the negative side of it that it could bring, but after seeing the positives and how many kids and how many new hunters have been able to pick up a crossbow and learn how to shoot from a rest and be involved in this sport of hunting for more more time frame because the gun seasons that we have in my state are limited just for a couple of weeks. But you open it up to it, our crossbow season is runs con, runs concurrent with our traditional archery season with compounds and stuff like that. So not only do I have more time to spend with that person in the woods teaching and training, but also they have more opportunities and more time spent. So if I only get to hunt one time during the rifle season. I don't get as excited about it because I don't get to keep doing that. But if I get to hunt in September when it's nicer and warmer, it's a lot easier to introduce a kid that's never hunted into that warmer area that fits their agenda. Whereas to push them into that November and December and even January seasons at some of the other estates I have and put them into those cold, miserable elements and expect them to really want to be there. So I'm excited. I don't own a crossbow right now, but I'm definitely going to invest in a higher quality crossbow. I've got my eye on a Raven. That's kind of where I want to be at. Cause if I figure if I'm going to buy one, I'm going to buy the best. And 
Uh, I'm strong. I've seen, I've shot some of the Ravens. I really like the size, the compactness and accuracy and the fact that they're easy to draw back and stuff like that as far as cranking and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we're going for that, for the next, this this coming season. And luckily he'll be able to hunt either West, West Virginia and Ohio with that crossbow concurrently with archery season. Um, we can run off one of those bog death grips and he doesn't have to shoulder it. Um, so it's going to be fun. Um, I'm really thankful for that opportunity, not only to introduce new hunters, but also to keep the hunting community around as well. I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, as they get a little older, compound bow hunting is just not in the cards anymore. Uh, this, this past season, I had a shoulder injury and I didn't think I was going to be able to finish my season out with a bow. Um, it really cut down my practice time and I finally just told myself, I'm going to save that. If his shoulder is going to tear, I'm going to save that shot for when it counts rather than on the bags when practicing. So come no, October, November, December, I didn't spend any time practicing because I was just babying the shoulder. Uh, now, I think, now I'm good, but uh, at that time, I was thinking I'm going to have to switch it up into a crossbow if things don't get better. And I'm thankful that I had that opportunity if needed. Yeah, it's – it's 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 uh frustrating but I, I tried to do the same i tried introducing my daughter into using a crossbow because it, i wasn't i didn't it, it was just just took her shields and like and the nice thing was, was there were they had two two gals there so i was like well this is gonna be good because these girls these gals both hunt they both use crossbow they both use compound so maybe maybe having another another set of voices walking her through and teaching her and stuff like that maybe that would kind of inspire her. but then she was polite enough to tell me it's like dad i don't have the patience for it. i was like all right i appreciate your honesty so that saved that saved me a thousand bucks right there. But uh, I was <laughs> yeah. I was kind of hoping that would be because then and not only for her using it, but then I can also maybe get other folks out there too. Because my dad doesn't deer hunt anymore, but it's like getting a crossbow in his hands because he's his shoulders are all messed up. I mean, he his working on a farm like he's he's so old school that he he didn't know he was blind until he was in until he was in school. That's how yeah that's that's how they found out he needed he needed uh, uh, bifocals at that age because it's like he lived out in the farm in the rural farm in Iowa. I mean they didn't have indoor plumbing until the seventies. I mean he grew up in he was born in fifty three, so all throughout the fifties and sixties, he their toilet was fifty yard or twenty yards out from the house, and it's like this is Iowa and in uh, not necessarily big buck land, but it's definitely uh, where it was more geared towards f- farmland. So it, it was rolling hills, got real cold. But uh, he doesn't hunt. He doesn't he, like it gets too cold for him for gun hunting because it's like he's just he's just he's seventy years old. He's a little bit, he's a little more picky now. It's like I don't blame him. He primarily spends his time fishing, but just to be able to provide him an opportunity. But also, there's there's people out there that, that know me that, that whether I work with them or they they know me from the community that would like me to, like to put them get them out on uh, out hunting because I have several pieces of land that are that that are filled with does. Get them out in front of them and crossbows have a higher efficacy rate than than compound bows do so it's like well this would be a good way to introduce them into it and if they put one down they get that experience that that adrenaline rush maybe they'll be able to want to go go that next step forward you're exactly right i mean you have the same exact mindset that i have with crossbows and like i said i came from a county in west virginia where it was archery only we didn't even have a gun season so when crossbows were being thought of and introduced, I was like, absolutely not. This is only going to lead to the worst things and the gun seasons and our, our deer not numbers are going to be compromised and all this stuff, but actually stepping back five or 10 years later and seeing the benefits of it from an adult perspective and a more mature mindset, it's, it's unfathomable why you would not want that opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
especially like when we're seeing we're seeing constantly seeing a decline in hunting participation especially that that 18 to 25 year old range so it's like with with the 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 popularity of like the walking dead and such then that kind of creates some some curiosity at least i don't know how it translated in a shop but you know seeing somebody out there hunting with a crossbow using granted it's using in a movie but uh a little uh unrealistic but whatever gets people interested in doing kind of similar to what uh uh, Katniss did for the Hunger, Hunger Games. I mean, that really saw a big uptick. I saw that in the S3DA shoot last summer where there's there was a lot of females. There's probably a good 12, 20 to 30 kids out there between that um, nine years of age all the way up to 17, 18 years of age about they're out there uh, shooting bows. It's like, that's a great thing. And like a lot of those kids, a lot of those, a lot of those gals got their influence from that movie. So it's like, Hey, whatever gets them out there, gets them in front of and creating more memories. Cause it's just, it, it, it's a cool thing about archery. It doesn't matter who you are. So you can be, you can become an elite shooter at any age, as long as you have the drive and the passion for it. And it's like, you might as well take advantage of your eyesight when it's young. Cause I'll tell you what, man, I had to switch to a magnifier this year, but um, before I did buy it though, I'd spent a lot of time digging through the DNR book and I, I did all kinds of different keyword searches, but then I just one typed in archery and looked through it. And in Wisconsin, you can use a magnifier out there hunting. So, which is good. I like that appreciation. So this way, there's just, it's just a higher efficacy. So this way, then when I pull, when I'm pulling back and a release, I'm able to see that, that arrow make great penetration. Cause the, the six years that I've been, seven years, I've been shooting bow. My eyes deteriorated because I'm, looking in front of computers because i work it so it's like you your your distance your your in order to maintain your strength in your eyesight you need to be in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere in a, in a realm where you're always strengthening your eyesight always looking at different lengths and such and that's something that i took it uh was where i'm looking for didn't took it for granted when i was actually working in physical labor and actually like looking at distances because i used to make um those arm bars, those crossbow bars, when you when you're driving down, you see those uh, uh, attached to telephone poles and stuff like that. Used to make those all the way from 48 inches all the way up to 142 inches long, and just, just absolutely massive in different sizes, different lengths. But they're all designed for that high dur- endurance for the crosswinds because these crossarm beams go anywhere between 60 to 300 feet up in the air. So we had to really over-engineer them so this way they would uh, perform properly. So if there was a nasty windstorm, that's going to, that's going to survive. And also it designed also be reused too, as well. If it, if it didn't, if it uh, didn't break a certain threshold. So we had, we had, everything was all test out. So, and uh, that's what I did for a long period of time. Now it's like a standard front of a computer. So having a magnifying glass, I use a forex and, the, the, you see, second you put it up to your eyes, it's immediate relief. So your 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 confidence goes up when you're throwing arrows further down. Now, how does that um, when you're dealing with rain and snow? How does that affect it? I, I'm sure there's going to probably be issues with it, but I didn't I didn't get it until this season. So last season when I hunted, it was just me and the bow. That's it. It wasn't until I don't know a couple of weeks ago that I actually bought the magnifier for it. So I'm sure it's going to play throw some issues with it. I know I shot with the guy last year that had a nice 3d scope on his and we were just doing three target for an edit hha usa event 
And he managed to make it work, but it's like as soon as he got done shooting, he had to put a cover over it. So this way then it would, it would be able to see because he used a, a 6X magnifier and then the peep was even is a, a high-end peep too as well because you had to have a clarifier on it, anything above six. So it's like, so for him, he was able to shoot and shot very, very well. It's just that with the range, like he immediately, once he got done shooting, put it in, he put it in a, like a rain tote, rain cover. So this way I kind of keep that water off, but still he didn't want to remove it off. It's as we got to the last two targets, he didn't have a single spot of dry cloth on him to, to wash it off. So it's basically just kind of experience built in with um, instinct and going from there. Yeah. I remember when I used to shoot tournaments and stuff, when, once it got wet, I mean, it just made for a rough tournament. And I don't know. Good clean. I don't think they make a. Uh, I don't think there's a film on the lens on the magnifiers, as far as I'm aware of. Mine's just straight up glass, so you could probably put a Rain-X on there, like a Rain-X wipe, and to use that in an anti-fog. But I don't know. I'm not going to do it because I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you call the manufacturer, and they're going to be able to tell you what you can or cannot do. But definitely get one of the covers and go that route. I mean, I think some of the best stuff I've used is actually called cat crap. It's got a weird name, but we used to use it underground and stuff because we our, our safety glasses would fog up a lot and stuff. And ah, um, okay. Kept it. In, I think we kept it in the refrigerator even. But well, really, I, have, keep... I haven't seen it in years. But they may or may not be in business. But I, th- I think it was called cat crap. As weird as that sounds, <laughs> I think maybe they, they struggle with the 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 name. People didn't want to have uh, cat crap sitting in their in their refrigerator. Yeah, in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> or in your eye. But uh, I know. Uh, JT goggles came out with a lot of different uh, uh, chemical or solution to use for, cause like when you're playing paintball and you're heavy breathing, especially in the earlier, or depending on how the humidity sets, it'll definitely fog up your lenses. And so they really, they really came through and pioneered a, a good solid solution to spray on the inside of your mask. So this way you wouldn't be fogging up. So I figured that's, that, that's a, that'd be the next logical step. I think JT's still around. They've, they've been around for the paintball industry for 30, 40 years. They kind of pretty much set the industry standard when it comes down to it. But uh, now we were talking about like the inflation in session with traveling more. Do you think you're going to be able to do another like for this upcoming season? Granted, like the gas prices weren't that expensive last fall, but do you think you're going to be able to consider making these trips out west again? Yeah, I don't think that's going to personally hold me back. Um, but I see it holding a lot of people back from traveling and things like that. Cause it's not just fuel prices that have increased. It's also hotels. It's everything that there are food, even going to the grocery store. So like the cost of living inflation has increased everything. And we've seen a huge increase from gas prices a couple of years ago till gas prices now. And anytime you see that hike, people are more likely to stay home. Um, I've actually kind of started planning this year to maybe hunt some closer states, maybe Kentucky, Ohio, um, and West Virginia only, but I might have an opportunity on the horizon to hunt like a lot more this year. So I don't think that money's going to slow me down from going where I want to be in life. Um, but I can definitely see how it's going to have a negative impact on the traveling for the hunting side of things. Yeah, that is very true. And with the with the internet these days, you, there's more than one way to to make money. I know for myself, like between my, between all the projects I have going, it's like I don't see the inflation holding me back. But the joys of 
being in the world like that, like, and you, especially if you want to try to book hunt someplace, like, Hey, I want to hunt out here. It's like a lot of times they may just invite you into your home or they'll give you an opportunity to park your camper. Cause I have a camper and like, that's what we're going to do this, this uh, past spring. If we were able to, like we were talking about uh, earlier with my buddy Craig to go out to, to Nebraska and go hunt some Miriams. I have a pop-up camper. And it's like, it worked out perfectly. Cause we'd be closer to our spot. And uh, every place I looked at had electrical hookups. So then I could just simply plug in a space heater and keep the place nice and warm and go from there. Yeah, I mean, when I was last time I was in Wisconsin, I just hopped on the Airbnbs and just bounced around until I found a place that I enjoyed and everything was pretty. Don't get me wrong, but I had a harder time finding deer sign and stuff like that and places to hunt for a while. But once I found that, man, it was easy to lock in and stuff. So just planning ahead. I mean, the biggest thing right now that I would recommend everybody do is if you know you're going, start planning ahead. If you know you're going to stay in a hotel, start shopping around for prices. I mean, because everything seems to have a negative impact on our budgets right now with this higher inflation cost. And you look at interest interest rates for buying a house. I mean, they were under three for 30-year loans not too long ago. Now they're almost five. So it's That's supposed to combat inflation, but somebody's wanting to buy a house right now. I'm not very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, this is an odd story here, but or this is a, a, a story about a, my my ex's husband was telling me that there was a house up for sale nearby his place and his friend was became a realtor and stuff like that because like why not so it's 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 something you can do in the part-time gig when he's not working with the fire department and there were you got a got a listing but there was there was water leakage in the foundation and he took it off the market because he wanted them to fix it well they didn't want to fix it they dropped him found somebody that had the the didn't have the same morals that he has and they and then they on the market not even 24 hours and it sold it's like that that person that bought that house probably overpaid as has an, a tremendous uh 30-year mortgage on top of that and now they have this water issue that they're gonna have to battle with come next fall next spring because it's like it's or i don't know what the water what what the water damage was or how it's getting in but that's something that could be a, a um an issue all throughout the upcoming summer too yeah, and that's a sad thing right now. I mean, I, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to overpay just because I want it right now. I'll be patient. I'll wait till the housing market drops, if it's going to. I mean, you talk to your local realtor, and they're like, oh, it's just going to keep going up, keep going up. But I've seen it start to slow down in the last month in this area. Um, houses were lasting one to two days on the market, and people were stopping bids. Uh, multiple houses that I looked at were bouncing uh, or people were putting in offers twenty, thirty thousand dollars over asking price, and the asking prices were inflated. Uh, people that had bought, bought homes just as little as two years ago were flipping those houses, not doing anything to them for fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand dollars higher than what they had paid for them. You can't blame them. Um, heck, I had a buddy right in the beginning of all this kind of boom on the real estate side of it. Basically, a realtor knocked on their door and said, "Hey, I've got somebody interested in buying your house. This is their price." And he said, okay, we'll be out. <laughs> they couldn't turn the money down. I mean, it was just so much more than what they had in it. Uh, so they're just like, yeah, we'll find another place to go. They can have it. So, I mean, just it's crazy to think about people are willing to overpay for things like homes and vehicles right now. And then we turn around and everything is increased 
the 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 cost of where does this money keep coming from i mean government might be printing it but it ain't coming in my pocket i can assure you that yeah the more they print the more the value is the more the the dollars devalued and such and my wife has noticed that even with the the car market because she does a lot of consumer loans for a bank that she works for and that was about a month and a half ago they've already started seeing that uh, nada nada started catching up and catching the inflation so now these dealerships have these vehicles they overpaid for now they got to figure out how to how to cut that cost but the banks are given or are, are, are if the, if the if the lender and the leak and the and the person's pulling out the loan pays attention is like just kind of hold off and not make these large pur- purchases and such because i'm glad we haven't made a purchase on, on anything yet so we're kind of just kind of keeping our eye on the ball and see what's going on because listening to like chris crone uh grant cordon is what they're saying that that we're there's a actually a house housing housing shortage there's actually a demand that that is, can't be beat can't be met yet because there's they're in the hole by like eight or seven or eight million homes that they're in a hole for that, that, that people want to buy homes for. And you, it's just an interesting situation. We're going to put ourselves in. We're going to see a major reset as we move towards the phantom, the, uh, the quantum financial switch. And that, that's, a, it's granted it's people can say it's conspiratorial, but uh, I'm more into spoiler alerts and the world economic forum has been pretty on the money when it comes down to what they're manipulating. Yeah, uh, I keep holding on to these to a little bit of cash, and I'm like, well, when these stocks drop, I'm gonna buy them too. <laughs> That's what I've been doing too. I've been, just, I've been paying attention to which um, cryptos have fallen under ISO compliance and buying those up a little at a time, like ten dollars here, fifteen dollars, twenty. Not a lot, but it's like you know, it, it'll add up, and it's like you just be you be patient because these cycles go through. Um, every four year cycles through pretty much go through electric cycles. So if, right now everything's on sale. So if you're just patient. They'll, they'll 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 skyrocket back up again. It just yeah, it's the biggest thing about it is like stacking that cash because we go through this cycle every ten years, every ten to twelve years we go seem to go through a cycle. So it's like it's one of those things where we just be patient and go from there. Yeah, that's a smart thing. I mean, even as a consumer of, say, if you're wanting to buy some hunting gear this year, chances are the costs are going to be a little higher than what they were last year. I, I've been paying attention to a lot of retailers recently, and they've just added subtly like an extra 10 or 20 bucks on their products uh broadhead maybe a couple bucks a couple bucks i mean those percentages add up but the problem is the cost that they're having to pay they're paying more money to truck that put that equipment get that product from point a to point b they're paying more for materials and heck you couldn't buy a house or you couldn't build a house right now for what you can buy them for because the cost of materials uh so it's going to affect everything in the hunting community what not just gas but also what we're purchasing even look at, uh, not to pick on Hoyt, because Hoyt makes a solid product, but their price tag for their bows have gone up. I mean, I've when I when I first started shooting bows, like back in 2014, 2015, their average Hoyt was 1400 Then it was up to 1500 1600 17 Now they're almost two grand for the bow. And so and it's like, and they, they have great engineering, but have great products. So it's like, now it all comes down to how quick do you want to buy that Hoyt? Because if you wait three years, that, that, that bow has lost like 75% of its value. Oh, absolutely. And PSE's got a boat, those carbon bows that they're producing now, and they're really close to that $2,000 mark. But one of the cool, weird things that we've seen this year at the ATA shows, these big players didn't show up. And some of, some of it was up to do with how much money it costs for like Hoyt or Matthews to show up. But the rumor at the time was Hoyt had so many pre-orders for their products that if they can just produce what they've already got sold, it's going to be their most profitable year ever this year. 
So like them not showing up to the ATA show was like a, a big deal, but it just shows that uh, from COVID, we've seen a huge increase in people buying new hunting hunt, or entering hunting, buying new products, buying hunting license. We've seen that increase because people couldn't travel. They had to figure out a way to spend money. So they started buying recreational products. So it actually benefited the hunting community or the hunting industry as a whole uh, because people had to find outlets to stay closer to home and they wanted to spend money some way, shape, or form. And some people picked up hunting. Yeah, um, and fishing too as the, well. Yeah, my, my wife can as well. My wife was telling me she did so many boat loans last year because she's kind of the boat guru when it comes down to buying a boat because she just kind of knows the loopholes when it comes down to dealing with Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. And they don't, I don't think they do boats in Illinois, but it's like the, how many people are looking for a different way of subsistence living because this, I think this is a good opportunity for us to segue into my next thing is like there's a lot of people going back to the old ways, learning how to can, how to grow their own food, how to eat, becoming self sustaining because. The government's going to done such a poor job of regulating the price tag because of all the bigger conglomerates, because there's only a handful of people that can control all the meat processing, all the manufacturing for all the factory farming and stuff. And so people are now resorting to planting their own garden, going back, learning how to can, looking how to dehydrate, looking how to smoke. I mean, I bought a smoker. I'm learning how to smoke stuff now. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point that you brought up. And I I grew up in an area where that never really left. I mean, people still had gardens. You still had grandparents that had a whole basement full of canned food. Sometimes it was edible. Sometimes it was 20 years old or something like that. that and canning was still a big thing. Um, but so I didn't really see that decrease. I mean, I've, I've got a garden in the backyard and I don't even hardly eat vegetables, but somebody's going to eat it. So. Um, but as far as wild game, I mean, that's going to translate in the hunting side of it when people can't go out and regularly, you look at the cost of beef and how much it has increased the cost of a bag of corn, uh, heck like people buy deer corn and stuff like that. It's legal to bait in West Virginia, Ohio. And what I was paying five fifty six dollars a bag for last year was $10 a bag, uh, this year, this past year, um, it's a huge increase in the pro the price of that. So it's it translates into every aspect of our life, not just hunting, not just the fuel that we put in our vehicle to drive forth back and back and forth to work. And we've got to figure out creative ways like learning how going out and pursuing wild game. A buddy of mine just lost his hunting property because some, they, the landowner realized that the cost of food was going up. So they said, Hey, these deer living on our, my property are now going to be a food source for me. So that individual no longer has access to some big bucks in Ohio. And uh, it's unfortunate, but when the cost of things rise, either A, you have to start paying lease payments or things like that, or people start seeing value in wild game and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of glad that we don't have enough population to support uh, market hunting. So that is a, that is a big win right there. And, and uh, it's, you gotta be, it's it's just very interesting in how the, what we're going to see over the next couple of years if we're going to see an increase of poaching and such. I mean, heck, I was reading an article yesterday from Pat Durkin. He lives over in, in Madison. He's friends with uh, Joe uh, with Steve Rinella and uh, uh, Doug Dern and such. So then he wrote an article about a guy that was 70, 78 years old. He was illegal. He got gored this past fall or this past January. By ten pointer, and the DNR were going out there to do the investigation. They found out he was illegally baiting. 
because there's certain counties here in Wisconsin you can bait in. I've never got behind baiting. I never understood because I always like my dad, like Iowa, and you could never bait. So it's like it was always basically work, working with the farmer, paying attention to how everything moves, and just kind of using the the local food source. Now it's like with the food plots becoming a a great blessing, honestly, because I think it provides that aspect for them to, to provide that, that nutrients over the course of the winter. Because that's like we had a, we've had a, the last three years we've had some very light winters. I mean, we've got we've had a couple of cold weeks, but nothing like the, compared to 2013 when we saw 100 some days below zero. So where we're now, it's like we're not as bad, but it, it's it's nice to see that we've the technology has come along to provide long term feeding sources for them. Yeah, and that comes with not only the technology, but also the mindset. Uh, when you start transitioning into land, like wildlife management, rather than just QDMA, uh, just like I want to shoot older bucks. Okay, I also want to have the the right food sources, cover uh, bedding, habitat, everything in one. And we've seen a huge increase in the awareness and participation of that within the community hunting community. So here's a question for you. So what do you think about baiting? Do you think it's a good thing or is it a bad thing? And what's your point on, on or what's your, your, your viewpoint on each one of them? Like uh, what you think of that? All right. We'll just start with a, is it legal in the state in which you're hunting or the county or area? So in the state of West Virginia, there's areas that it's legal to bait. There's areas that it's not, for instance, public versus private. You cannot bait on public ground, but you can on private. There's also parts of the, the state that are designated CWD zones, so you cannot bait in those areas in the risk of spreading CWD at those bait sites because deer and other animals are congregated into one area. So once you get through that, then you have the ethical side of it. Um, is hunting over bait something that you're willing to do or you're wanting to do? So for me, um, I've... I've put bait or corn, usually just deer corn or corn, whole corn, uh, out. I don't know. I've been hunting hard for 16 years, 17 years. Probably each one of those years, I've had a pile of corn out somewhere. I can say, honestly, I've probably killed two bucks over corn in that time frame, And that wasn't until Ohio actually hunting in those late seasons. But for me, it's a way to inventory deer. Um, especially early before the hunt, four seasons kicks in. Usually by the time our archery season kicks up, you've got one weekend maybe if the weather's good that you're going to kill something over bait. Until then, those deer are going to go nocturnal. Uh, but it's a great way for to inventory deer. Is there health benefits to feeding corn? No. Uh, now, if you can spend the money on some of these higher protein contents and antler max and all this great stuff out there yes you're going to create a healthier deer herd in the process uh, you're not maybe not going to grow bigger antlers but you're going to have a healthier deer herd nevertheless uh, i've never went that route i've always went with the 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 goal of inventory and deer and for instance when a gun season comes in what i like to do is reduce the pressure on my property so i don't usually do a whole lot of gun hunting so i'll go put a bunch of bait out in the middle of the property basically walk away from it and give those deer a safe place to come to during that time frame. The other side of it is, uh, I know, and this kind of originates from Texas because it's like, if I'm not baiting, my neighbor is. And you can drastically see, because um, I drive a lot for work and I'll be driving down the road and I'll be like, man, that's an awfully good deer trail. I guarantee you there's a feeder nearby. 
So I'll start paying attention the next time going down the road and the next time. And I'll look and I'm like, yep, that guy's got a deer feeder. His neighbor, why doesn't that on the same face of the hill, why is there no deer trail at that same level? Well, if he's over here baiting, then I'm going to have to have a deer, a pile of deer corn so I can bring in deer as well. So then you get like, if you're going to do it, then I've got to do it to keep up with you and that side of things. Mm-hmm. Right, um, it's a, okay. What else? It, it's, and there's also, it makes it easier to kill deer. I mean, at the end of the day, if you just want to kill a deer, it makes it flat out easier. Um, that early season time frame, and then the late season in December when food sources are rare. Are you going to kill something during a rut, which most of the time people are hunting in November? Probably not. You might get a deer to stop, or a mature deer, I should say, to stop at that corn pile. But at the end of the day, um, if you're going to do it, you have to plan that out accordingly. Um, those deer will pattern you just like you pattern them. So it produces challenges. Uh, like I said, I've hunted over corn pile a lot in life, but I've on, I can only recall shooting two bucks off a corn pile in my entire life. I think that's where it comes down to play where is where they are going to, they're going to learn who, how you're, how they, how they, when you come and re, re, uh, replenish them, they're going to pattern you because they're going to smell that scent. And especially if you're urinating out there, you're going to have that uh, pheromone that's released because because the meat, because uh, if you're a carnivore, it's going to have a, there's going to have a smell like that. And that, could, that lingers out in the air for a long time because without the right chem, without the right chemicals to break it down fast, it's, it can be out there for a long period of time. Uh, Brian Sparks, he's been on my podcast. He does, um, Nelson Creek outdoors, but it's his name brand is uh, lucky seven. This guy, he, he knows deer. So I, now I, it's weird. Cause it's like, part of me wants it to be, to be, to be legal all the way across the board, because what it does is allows the, the hunter to make that decision for themselves, but also allows them to have the rights to it. Because if you start letting the anti start chipping away, because like, I kind of like right now, the new, like some States, the antis are going after urine smells and urine scents. And some people could, could argue that it's CWD or EDH that they're trying to prevent. But all it is to me is that somebody's trying to take away a privilege for mine. And, when it, and whether some people will have different point of view on scents. Some say it doesn't work. Some say it does work. Or some like the really that really know what they're going on, what's going on in deer's head. They know it doesn't work at all. So it is, it is a, um, I, I just think that's like, it should be left up to the hunter, kind of like with crossbows. And this way, then it's like you, you have all your rights. It's way somebody's not telling you what you can and cannot do. I guess it's the, the, uh, the less government side of me talking out. Yeah. And then, but if there's a scientific data that supports and proves that why we should or should not do this, then I'm up for that as well. I mean, I, I'm up for real data. Um, do I believe that if I put a pile of corn out that it's going to kill every deer in the county? No, absolutely not. Because I guarantee you the cornfield that my neighbor's got has just as much corn in it, and they're going to go there if not. Uh, yeah, I so, think it's just like, I feel like it should almost be like, not like we should move away from baiting and just do food plots. I think food plots because it will provide a, a bigger nutrient source for multiple animals. Yep. Uh, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, I live in an area now where food plots are very feasible, uh, but I come from Southern West Virginia where you don't have flat ground. You don't have those opportunities without removing a huge sort uh, amount of trees in order to get the right uh, sunlight into those areas because we, the only flat ground is where a dozer blade touched the ground when they were logging it. Um, so food plots for me were not an option. Uh, 
there's some reclaimed surface mines and stuff like that where it would be an option um, nowadays. But the truth of the matter is at where I hunted growing up, it was not feasible. So my food plot was a 50 pound bag of corn. Yeah, because here, even like when you look at a topographical map, you look in the driftless area here that spans from across all the way down to uh, the Illinois border. There, it's like there's places that that there's no that's not that's not even feasible. Especially if you take if you look from the Missouri, the Mississippi, and you go east, there's a that's just all up and down hills and crevices. And it's like you can't even get heavy equipment back in there anyways to even attempt to do that. So there's deer back in there. I've seen them. Like when I'm going down to Prairie du Chien, I'm gonna go check out uh, Cabela's. I'll see deer up in, the, in those in those uh, uh, bluff side, but they're there. It's when you look up at it, it's like, man, this is going to be a bitch if I shoot something because it's like if they're all the way up the top, right? I get all the way back down the bottom. It's like here, it is definitely going to provide a, a, a certain amount of thought process. Like, do I want to put the energy to go bring something down? But that's usually where your biggest bucks are too. It's a common it's a common trend where a lot of folks that are around here these parts, if you want to shoot your biggest bucks, they're going to be sitting up on the very top, six hundred yards up in the air. <laughs> Yep, you better have a buddy that you can call to come help you out in those bad situations. <laughs> All right, yeah, because it's like you, the best part is like getting it downhill. It's like you getting upstairs, getting up there, and not being, uh, uh, not trying to make too much noise. Yep, we're, we're back. Yeah, it just it just froze out for a second there. So, what do you have planned for the upcoming summer? Uh, so this summer, I'm going to do a lot of work on the business. Um, I'm trying to create a lot of content. Um, I call it evergreen content or what it's kind of what it's called in the blogging world, but gear reviews, um, blog posts. I've actually teamed up. I know you like you're more like the recipes and you like stuff like that as well. But uh, I actually teamed up with Hunt Chef. So I'm bringing a lot of their recipes from uh, YouTube videos and putting it into print. So so that that's been a nice partnership for that side of it really wanted to tap into that market just for traffic to the website. Uh, but the, my goal is right now is to work on the website. Uh, I don't really have like a whole lot of trips or anything like that planned right now. I'm kind of leaning towards the company that I work for just put out a new HR policy. So I'm thinking if this comes into fact, uh, into play and I can take six weeks off without pay, I think I'm going to do that during November and I'm going to travel. If not, I may just walk away from the day job this hunting season and see what I can turn my dream, take my, my little side hustle business into a full-time role and just dump, jump head first into it. And one of the things that I've got to do is build that email list. So um, if I can, in the next year in the winter time, like once these um, we call them trade shows and stuff like that, start going around trade shows and trying to figure out ways to be, be creative and grow this email list so I can do the email marketing. And basically what I do is post deals on product, hunting products each and every day, go through a huge list of online retailers, whether it be direct to consumer manufacturers like Kuyu or Walmart or Amazon or Cabela's or anything in between. And if they have a sale or a coupon code or something like that, I make that make the, make everybody aware of that through that email list and through the website a little bit of social media as well. So try to be an asset to the consumer, help them save money and get a good deal in the process. That's so smart. I know, um, I think his name is Bob the trail. He does uh, go hunt or go wild and uh, listening to his point of view on how a lot of um, how meta 
Mehmet Hamed the or Facebook is is not is is taking people's money but not really allowing people to with the outdoor world grow their their content like on 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 Facebook. So you have to really focus on uh, Instagram because at least there you, you can have that drive and such. But uh, he has a couple of good points about because even with his social media app with part of Google and uh, iTunes or uh, the Apple store, he's having issues with trying to keep his app alive until somebody comes up with a a new OS. It's the outdoor world is kind of is, is getting hammered on all sides about uh, trying to keep trying to seems like they're almost trying to kind of keep the self-reliance down that community down because a lot of us that are hunters or outdoorsmen we're self-reliant we like to go out and get our food and 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 how we need to do to maintain our quality of life you're exactly right i mean our rights are constantly under attack whether it be our hunting rights or whether it be the freedom of speech and understanding that is one of the biggest hurdles in the whole fight to keep those freedoms and rights. A lot of times we sit back and you can use the example of you put a frog in water and it gets used to that temperature and you increase the temperature and you keep increasing the temperature. And what's that frog do? It just sits there because it doesn't know any difference and it adjusts and it adjusts. And before you know it, that frog's dead because that water's boiling and it can't tea. And that's kind of where we are as a civilization right now in the United States. We just keep think we just keep looking forward in our direction we don't pay attention we've got blinders on and we don't realize what's going on around us and it's sad and until you step out and start working with if hunting is your passion or if second amendment rights are your passion until you get involved with that and actually start seeing the challenges that people are facing outside of your community and your small world that we live in um, then you can actually make a fight and you can you're you see that light bulb come on you're like holy crap at any point in time there's going to be a bill come across the table that takes my rights away it's matter it's just a matter of time when it comes down to it uh goring said that they'll never have to do another holocaust because folks will just line up for it you're exactly right that's uh, yeah yeah uh, general goring he was uh he was he knew psychology very well and that's why uh, him and hitler were best of buddies it's just nuts. But anyways, man, this was a pleasure chatting with you, dude. I'm looking forward to seeing everything grow with uh, huntinggeardeals.com. Those who follow me, I'm uh, anytime I something that you post, I always try to put it on my platform so just people can gain access to it as much as possible. It's all about collaboration, I say. And I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing your platform that you've got with me. Um, I always enjoy coming in and talk to, talking to you. You've got an awesome viewpoint on life, and you always point out things that I don't always see or think of, so it's fun just learning something new. Um, I would like to point everybody towards – got Memorial Day coming up about the time this thing gets posted, so pay attention to huntinggeardeals.com for that um, annual Memorial Day sale blog post. So all these online retailers and consumers – or online retailers or in the hunting industry, they're going to have a lot of sales from – you or Sitka or Natchez shooting sports, something like that. You'll find that all in one place during that Memorial Day blog post. And I'll send you a link to that when the time comes. So that's going to be a great way to um, save some money this before hunting season gets here because there's not a whole lot of opportunity between now and the opening day to save money. There's only a few good sales between now and then. So that's going to be a good one, which people aren't going to want to miss. Excellent. Perfect way to end. Thank you, Cam, for coming on. You have yourself a great evening. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. You're welcome.